The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Amen, amen, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son always remains. So if the son frees you, then you will truly be free. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no room among you. I tell you what I have seen in the Father's presence. Then do what you have heard from the Father. They answered and said to him, Our father is Abraham. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now... You are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You are doing the works of your father. And so they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a chilling note to the Gospel reading today due to how it begins. Jesus spoke to the Jews who believed in him. This entire sharp exchange is a conversation between the Lord and believers, not between the Lord and his obvious open enemies, but between the Lord and those who on some level actually believe in him. And note then, it is to believers that he says, you are in fact trying to kill me. And that should give all of us pause, every single one of us. And what is the root of this? Note how the Lord says to them, if you receive my word and believe in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And later he says to them, you are trying to kill me because my word has no place within you. What a remarkable interchange this is. The Lord insisting that life and death, freedom and slavery 
have a fundamental relationship to the way we receive His Word. And there is a form of false belief that wants to limit the reach of the Word of the Gospel, that wants to limit the reach of the Word of God, that wants to limit the reach of the Word of Christ. We become, in a sense, like the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, who erects a golden image that he names his God and places it somewhere prominent, that everyone might see it and bow down before it. But it is a God that he has made, and it is a God to whom he has given a place. But any God who is put in his place by man is no real God. But there is that tendency in the human heart that always wants to assign a place to God. And what we do when we do that is we're also then saying, this is your place and everything else is mine. Stay in your lane, stay in your place. But that compartmentalization is a recipe for slavery, the Lord tells us. We think we are in control. We think then in our freedom we can do what we want as long as God is in His place. But note what the Lord says. This assigning a place to God, this limiting the reach of the Word, is really simply a matter of opening a space for sin opening a space for disobedience, opening a space for the works of death. And in that false freedom that says, I am in charge and I am in control, what do we do? What is wrong? What has no value? What is no good and what does not produce or sustain life? We do the works of sin and darkness and therefore we enslave ourselves to those things. And so note, we will always end up obeying somebody. None of us is so free we obey no one. We obey our impulses, we can obey our urges, we can obey our anger, our resentment, our fear, but we'll always obey something. Or we can obey the word of truth. And that is the only obedience that produces freedom that is meaningful and freedom that is real. Because real freedom is not the ability to do what I want. It is the ability to do what is right. It is the ability to do what is good. And only one who knows the truth can choose what is right and choose and do what is good on a regular basis. Note how important that is. And as Jesus speaks about these things, there's something in the heart of these who believe in him that bristles at this. Because the heart of man doesn't like to be limited. The heart of man thinks that in knowing and following the truth, that is somehow limiting me, when in fact it's what opens up my life to real possibility. And so note this clinging then, this clinging to the distance of we're from Abraham, and the Lord placing before them, no, you're not really. Biologically, yes, you are his descendants that way. But spiritually, you are not. 
because Abraham left everything behind for the sake of the word that God spoke to him and the promise that God made to him. And you want to leave nothing behind for God. You cling, rather, to the trappings of slavery. Even saying then we have never been enslaved to anyone, and the Lord might well point out, well, we do read something else in the book of Exodus. And this movement toward freedom, the Lord is also saying, though, is not a political movement at all. Real freedom is a moral freedom. Real freedom is a spiritual freedom. It can't be guaranteed by any political party or any political power. It comes from surrendering your heart to the truth of the Word of God. Note how powerful that is. And the Lord now is insisting that how we respond to Him, how we receive His Word, is absolutely decisive for living with true human freedom, the freedom that God, when He created us, intended us to have. This is very important and illustrated for us in our first reading with the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This reading every year that tortures the lector who has to proclaim it. And, um, and this remarkable incident, they are not politically free. They are exiles, members of a conquered people, effectively slaves in the court of the pagan king. They are not free men in any political sense. And so note, however, that they live and act with a certain freedom that is not determined by any political power. The political power says, you must bow before the golden idol that I have set up. And if you do not, the consequence will be immediate and terrible. And there is nothing you could do to prevent it. And who is the God who is mighty enough to prevent it from happening? Well, that's a serious question. That is a serious question because this is the full power of the king. This is the full authority of the state. This is not simply a bully individually speaking to a victim. Oh, this is much worse and this is much bigger. This is the ruler who conquered Israel in the first place. This is the king who destroyed the temple speaking. This is the king who deported these young men from Jerusalem to Babylon speaking. This is the king who said, I destroyed your temple and your God didn't stop me. I conquered your nation and your God didn't stop me. You bow to my God or you will die. And who is the God that can stop me from doing that? What a powerful question that is. And note how that cuts, that has to cut to the heart of these three young men who witnessed the fall of their nation, the destruction of their temple. And this is the king that did that. 
And so their answer to the king is all the more remarkable. And note, if anybody has a reason to say, you're right, we're done. We'll do what you say because quite clearly you are the mighty one. It's them. And yet, in spite of everything that has happened to their people, their nation, their land, their freedom, they will not give up who they really are. They are servants of God. And they will not change that, even in the midst of the horrifying realities they have lived through, and even in the face of the murderous threat that the king is breathing out against them. And so they say to him, let everyone else bow to your God. But we won't. We will bow only to the living God, not to yours. What a remarkable statement that really is. And note what we see here. We see a physical incarnation of that gospel antiphon that we chanted before reading this dialogue between Jesus and the Jews who believe in him. Blessed are they who receive the word with a generous heart. In other words, a heart that opens fully, a heart that listens completely, a heart that fixes itself on the word and wants to respond fully to it, not partially, not reluctantly, but joyfully. These men whose lives are characterized by that, by a generous opening of their heart to the way that God has given them to live, are not going to lay that aside because despite all worldly appearances, they are more free than the king who threatens them. The king whose reputation is so easily threatened and wounded if someone disobeys him. Note the contrast. And so these men say to the king, maybe our God will save us, and maybe he won't. But our relationship with him is not based on that. And so do what you will, and our God will do what he will but we will be faithful. Again, what a remarkable act of faith that is. We who so naively assume that when I'm in trouble, what God has to do is respond immediately and make everything better. And know what these men say. Maybe he'll recognize us and reward our faithfulness that way. And maybe he won't. But we're not in this for that kind of a reward. We belong to him. That is who we are. And so we will belong to him, whether he saves us, whether he doesn't, because we will not belong to the golden idol that you have set up. What a remarkably powerful statement of faith. As they're heating the oven, these men are saying this. As they're being bound so they can't resist or escape, they are saying this. And so all of the rage of the world comes against these men. And why? Because they insist on living according to the truth that they know. And note, they have no political freedom. 
They're effectively prisoners now. They have no physical freedom. But note the great moral freedom they have, the great spiritual freedom they have. And as their physical and political freedom is taken away from them, their moral and spiritual freedom shines all the more clearly, all the more brightly. And from these three young men, the mighty king feels threatened because they're free and he's not. Note how remarkable that is, this contrast between real freedom and false freedom, the false freedom of the king and the real freedom of these imprisoned men. This is what Jesus is speaking about. And so it is that exposed to the burning heat of that blazing furnace, the bonds fall off the men, their voices are lifted in prayer, and an angelic being stands alongside of them, and they emerge unharmed. A miracle so striking that even the pagan king must praise the God who effected that deliverance. Who is the God that can save you from my hand? Now he knows. Now he knows that there is such a God. And he also knows then that anything he did to the temple in Jerusalem, to the king in Jerusalem, was not merely because he was strong and powerful, but because God allowed it to happen. Note the difference. Note the difference. And he sees now he was merely an instrument in the will of God not so free an agent as he fancied himself, not so mighty a ruler as he pretended to be, as he assumed he was, because there is a power greater than his own, a power so great it stands on the side of these three young men and all of the power of his empire cannot harm them. Receive my word. Live according to my word. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, because it is the only source of freedom. Amen.